Okay, we are continuing today with our series on growth. Uh, I just realised actually that uh, the word growth is behind me, so if you get bored, you might want to think of creating a little acronym with the, the letters GRO. Just, just a thought. But today we're looking at growth through sacrifice. The, di the dictionary definition of sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy, or giving up something valued for the sake of other considerations. About 20 years ago, I was on holiday in Canada, in Toronto, and I was taken to a baseball game. And I went to see the famous Toronto Blue Jays in action. And they were famous because a few years earlier, they'd won the World Series on two consecutive years, which actually gave a little bit of credence to the strangely named competition, the World Series, in that for a change, it was won by a team at least outside of the United States. Two thirds of the way through this particular game, one of the home batters struck the ball and it went way up into the night sky. I thought, what an idiot. He's going to be thinking in terms of cricket. He's going to be caught out. What a waste. And it took an age to come down. And he was indeed caught out. So that was the end of that particular batter's innings. But while that was happening, one of his teammates had got from the final base to home. And that meant a run for his team. So if you're looking at me in a funny way because of your experience of cricket, it doesn't work in cricket. You don't get the run. You do in baseball. And as it happened, that proved to be the winning run. That player gave up his own personal average, his own personal success for the team. Nowadays, we talk about taking one for the team. Sacrifice, the word sacrifice comes from two words uh, in Latin, and it simply means to make holy, to make right with God. In looking at sacrifice, I want to focus on two verses. These two. From Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. These verses are right at the heart of the letter to the Romans, which is the essential letter on the basics of Christian doctrine. And we'll see why a bit later on, why that is the focus of, of learning growth through sacrifice. Before that, I want to look at what the importance of sacrifice is based on a little look at the Old Testament and how the concept of sacrifice developed. Firstly, sacrifice draws us close to God and is a basic human need. We read the very first sacrifice made in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve uh, had two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain was uh, one, the one who worked on the, on the ground, tilling the, the land. Abel was the, the herdsman, looked after the flocks. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the land. Abel, on his part, 
also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The first sacrifice in the Bible and the first murder. Sacrifice is something which appears from the beginning of the Bible, well, almost the beginning. It wasn't something which happened with Adam and Eve before the fall. It wasn't needed. They were in a perfect relationship with God. They were naked, but not only were they unembarrassed, they were unaware of the fact. It was just so natural to them. They lived in freedom and in harmony with God, with nature. Two points to make on this first sacrifice. Firstly, the sacrifice only started after the fall when man disobeyed God. There's no need before. And secondly, God did not need to actually request or demand sacrifice. Man wanted to, to give sacrifice to God naturally. We have a need to sacrifice, to give. It's in our DNA. There's no suggestion whatsoever in Genesis 4 that, that God asked Cain and Abel to sacrifice anything. They just started doing this. We don't know which brother initiated it. We do know that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. Abel sacrificed of the very best of his flock. And as far from what we can read into Cain's sacrifice, it was just any old offering. And that was the print, a principle which God repeats as the law comes in through Moses, that the sacrifice should be of the best of the flock, the best lambs or oxen or whatever, without blemish. But we have a need to give. In Leviticus, once the law has been given, it's indicated that God commanded animal sacrifices as a way of helping his people to stop worshipping demons because if they don't worship God, they don't sacrifice to God, they will sacrifice to demons. So that's the first point. The sac sacrifice draws us closer to God and it is a need that we have. Secondly, it's not a substitute for obedience. In 1 Samuel 15.22 we read, But Samuel replied, this is speaking to Saul. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. The context of this is that King Saul had disobeyed God. He was told to utterly destroy a people called the Amalekites. Now that may sound quite harsh until you get to know what these people, the Amalekites, were. They were pretty vicious. They were extremely nasty, and they had a habit for several hundred of years of abstracting God's purposes and God's people, in particularly singling out the weakest and most vulnerable and slaughtering them. And God commanded Saul to put an end to that people and their livestock. Well, Samuel could hear after Saul had dealt with the Amalekites, the people, but there was still some noise of sheep 
bleating. And he asked, what was this all about? You were supposed to get rid of the livestock as well. But Saul said, well, we've just kept, kept them back as a sacrifice. It happened, of course. He was, he was keeping them back for, for meat. But he said, we're, we're going to keep some of the best of these, these lambs back for a sacrifice. The result of that was that God said, well, sorry, but Saul, you are no longer going to be, to be king of Israel. I've rejected you from being, being king. Because Saul had, had put his own interpretation on sacrifice. It's tempting to sacrifice something as a grand gesture, as a cover-up for disobedience. And we can do that. We can be asked by the Lord to do something. You need to go and speak to that person. I'd like you to visit that person. I'd like you to do that particular task. We may think, I don't really fancy that. I'd rather do something else. So we can cover up by doing something which sounds quite spiritual. I'll give my money to this cause or I'll perform this particular act of service because it's more comfortable, but that's not what God has asked. Whatever we sacrifice, it's only worthwhile if our conduct is in line with what God requires. And sacrifice is a channel of our obedience, maybe out of fear occasionally, if not our love. Sacrifice should also cost something. This is King David speaking, replying to someone called Arona. No, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. This context was that David had had his people numbered against God's will. And as a result, they suffered a punishment of three days of, of pestilence. He was told to erect an altar on the threshing floor of someone called Arana the, the Jebusite. But he insists on buying both the threshing floor and the oxen. He didn't want to give something which cost him nothing. He wanted to pay for it in full. A sacrifice may be freely given, but it's not a genuine sacrifice if it doesn't mean anything to us. It may not necessarily hurt us, but it should at least be meaningful. When we come to communion, we need to reflect, to examine ourselves first, reflecting what Jesus' sacrifice means. When we feel the pain of our sacrifice, we know that we are really giving up something important. And sacrifice can be quite gut-wrenching. It can be a broken heart. David prays in Psalm 51, 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. When you feel you've got nothing else to give and you've completely messed up and you just throw yourself on God's mercy and that's the sacrifice you give, just giving yourself to him, he will not reject it. So that's the background of sacrifice in the Old Testament. And Jesus picks up the theme when we go into the New Testament Give several examples. One is of the widow's might. And this is a, not a, a story, it's an actual incident that he, he witnesses and instructs his disciples. A poor widow is giving two small copper coins into the temple treasuries. Everyone's giving money. The, the, the well-to-do were giving a really ostentatious show of, 
of, of giving of their wealth. But this widow who had nothing to live on, and this was in the days of no state security, and once the breadwinner had gone, you were totally dependent on, on charity. And she gave in two copper coins, which were estimated to be one sixty-fourth, I read, of a denarius. And a denarius was a day's wage, so really, literally nothing. But Jesus says to his disciples, this poor widow has given more than all these, these wealthy people because she's given everything that she had to live on. And she was just trusting that somehow, by this sacrifice, that, that the Lord would provide for her somehow. It was a sacrifice which really cost something. And Jesus demands that sacrifice of his disciples. He says in Matthew 19, 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Ultimately, of course, Jesus makes the supreme sacrifice. He says, greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then that's just what he does. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if we, we read in the book of Hebrews how all these Old Testament sacrifices point to one supreme sacrifice and that was Jesus who took, bore our sins once for all time, a single sacrifice. And we're now living in that age where we do not need to offer up animal sacrifices. Jesus has paid for, for all our sins. And that takes us to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Key verses about how we live sacrificial lives and how we can grow as a result. These two verses are really key hinge verses that we cannot ignore. At the end of the, the, these verses, it says it's a, an act of worship. It's a worship response to the mercies of God. There's a reference to mercies at the beginning of these two verses. And the mercies are outlined in the first 11 chapters. Now, Romans teaches the basics of, of Christian doctrine. That's why it's the first letter that is mentioned in the New Testament. You've got the four Gospels, then the Acts of the Apostles, the history of the early church, and the first of several letters is Romans. It wasn't the first that was written chronologically, but it's placed first because it deals with the basics, the essentials. If you're a young Christian, it's vital that as soon as possible, if you haven't done so already, that you read the book of Romans. It's a tough wrestle at times, but it's really essential doctrine. If you're an older Christian, it's important to keep referring back to Romans regularly because it's a tremendous source of strength. But it's not just dry statements of belief. These are expressions of God's mercy and his desire for intimacy with us. And that's what we have in the first 11 chapters, which is why the beginning of chapter 12 is such an important hinge. First 11 chapters, there are virtually no instructions. It's all about what God has done for us. 12 to 16, 12 to the end of the chapter, end of the, end of the book of Romans, 
there are plenty of practical instructions, but we need to get things in the right order. That's, that is, understanding, first of all, what God has done for us. Depending on what translation you've got, you may have a reference to God's mercy or mercies. In fact, the word is plural in Greek. So the, the translation in the New American Standard is correct. It is mercies or instances of mercy. And there are quite a few in those first 11 chapters. I'll just mention them briefly. Chapter 1, it says we are beloved of God. Chapter 2 refers to God's kindness, his forbearance and patience towards us, even though we are sinners. Chapter 3 talks about justification, being right with God. Chapter 4 about faith. Chapter 5 about peace with God through Jesus Christ and his grace. The fact that suffering leads to perseverance, which leads to character growing, developing, which leads to hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It talks about reconciliation. Chapter 6 talks about the free gift of God, being eternal life. These are tremendous truths. Chapter 7, about being released from the power of the law. Chapter 8, about there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Of the spirit of sonship, of being actually conformed to Jesus Christ, to, to being like him, being glorified, never to be separated from God's love. Then God, we read about the fact that God's desire is for both Jews and Gentiles alike to be saved, that he pours out his abundant riches on all who call on him. There are no racial barriers whatsoever. It's a catalogue of God's mercies, the riches of God's mercies in those 11 chapters. And it comes to a real crescendo in the doxology at the end of chapter 11, where Paul's almost bursting with, with joy at what, what's happened in those 11 chapters. And it's not so much a turning point at the end of chapter 11, but a change of gear. Personally, I see Romans as a bit of a, a bit like going up a mountain. It reminds me of going walking in the, in the Lake District and you get to the, t the top of the hill, but it's, it's, it's hard work. You, you walk a bit and then you have a bit of a breather. You take stock and look at where you've come, come from. And it's a bit like that with Romans. You read it a little bit and you have to wrestle through and read again, have I quite got that bit of doctrine? Work it out, take breath, go on a bit, stop again, and eventually get to the top of the hill. And there you see a beautiful panorama. I'm sure most of you are aware that when the Bible was initially written, there were no chapter breaks. They were inserted later on by various editors to make it easier for us to follow. And sometimes the chapter breaks are helpful, they're logical. Sometimes they're not terribly logical because it's a long passage and we have to have a break somewhere or else it would be hard, too hard to read. However, in this case, the break between 11 and 12 is the most perfect chapter break you can imagine. It is so obvious because it's an obvious time to take stock and think. How do we respond? It's a real what now moment. 11 chapters of what God has done for us, how do we respond to it? And from this point on, we're launched into a meaningful life of service, one of, of joy, but also one that makes sense. When it talks about 
the spiritual service of worship. The word spiritual can also be translated rational because it comes from the Greek word logikos, where we get the word logic or logical from. It makes sense, basically. Chapter 12 is all about expressing God's mercy. We receive his mercy and we express it. But first of all, we need to get our worship right first. Let's have a look at those, those two verses. Almost every word is sort of laced with truth. Therefore, an obvious connection to what's gone on before. Brethren, he's speaking to Christians. I urge you, there's a passion in what Paul is saying. Then he says, present your bodies, present. Now the word he's using is formal, ceremonial language. It was used earlier in Romans 6. That's about the only instruction you get in the first 11 chapters. It's precise, formal, considered, deliberate language. It demands a conscious effort. And it's not to be done lightly. Present your bodies. Present your body. Why stress the physical? Why doesn't Paul say, present yourselves or present your whole being? Why does he mention the body? Well, the reason lies in the context in which he was writing. Rome was very much affected by Greek thought, Greek philosophy, and one of the key elements of that was the idea of duality, that the body and spirit was completely separate. The body was seen as a tomb in which the human spirit is imprisoned. To put it crudely, body bad, spirit good. And if we view the body this way, the chances are we probably will not take good care of it. We see it as a temporary cell only to be, we're only too glad to be get rid of. We won't really look after it. So if you're unfortunate enough to be imprisoned, you're unlikely to decorate your cell very much. You're just glad when you get out. There are two opposing dangers in our appreciation of the body. One is precisely that, that we see the body as no good, that we despise the body. If you despise it, it leads to neglect. It could lead to abuse through alcohol, drugs, sexual promiscuity, or even the extremes of self-sacrifice. You can take it up to the present day with suicide bombers. Paul says in Corinthians that it doesn't matter if, if you do give your body up like that way, give your body to the flames. If you haven't got love, it's, it's a waste of time. It profits you nothing. So we can despise the body, or we can go to the other extreme and see the body as the be-all and end-all. We can idolise the body and seek for the perfect body in terms of outward beauty, muscle. may go to the extremes of using plastic surgery and any other possible means to make our body as um, impressive as possible. I read the story not too long ago and I'm sure it's one of many um, from, from that period, of two female British swimmers who were, taking, who were of international standard, who were taking part in a, a competition one day, and they were about to enter the women's changing room when they heard from the changing room two very husky, masculine voices. 
naturally alarmed. They called up someone from security. And when they entered the changing room, they saw no one there apart from two very muscular East German women competitors. Now, because of the very organized state-sponsored drug program, not only had the physique of numerous athletes been changed, but also their voices. And there were some pretty serious consequences on numerous athletes. Some originally female athletes, because of the, the changes that they've been subjected to, felt compelled to undergo female to male sex changes as a result. Now, in the, in the short term, this program, this drug program, brought unprecedented success. But when the wall came down and this, these abuses were exposed, it brought only, only disgrace. Now, this was perpetrated by an atheist regime, officially. When we take God out of the picture, we have to worship something, and it can often be the body. But we don't need to necessarily to despise or to idolize, but we can use a glorious middle way, and that is to use our body to glorify God, to glorify God with our body. Paul says in another letter, in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that you, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Make the most of the glorious salvation that you have received. I've heard it, um, the accu accusation or observation, I suppose, by, by Muslims. What's the point of you Christians actually serving God if you know you're already saved? Well, if you know that you, as soon as soon as you believe it, you, you're you're going to heaven, what's 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 the motivation? Well, it's once we but once we belong to God and He starts to, to 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 work in us, we want to make the most of it, don't we? To make really exploit what what we've started. To really give up our bodies to allow God to work through us, and it's not to become outwardly as beautiful or as strong as we can, but to be instruments of righteousness and express Christ's beauty, Christ's strength. We may be limited by age or disability, either permanent or, te or temporary, but we can be all the more effective if our attitude is right, in the same way as the, the widow's who gave her two copper coins, had the perfect attitude. Do you have any weak areas in terms of your body? I, I certainly do. I don't necessarily mean physical weakness, that you're not, no longer able to do certain things as we get older. But are there areas that are not being used as effectively as they might be? How about the tongue? I know there are areas in my use of the tongue which could, could be worked on. Not so much gossiping, I hope, but the occasional sharp comment, which I've often regretted, and sometimes withholding a word of encouragement, a word of comfort, which I feel prompted to give and don't give. 
So it can often be withholding by saying too little as well as saying too much. What about your ears? How are your listening skills? Your eyes? What do you read or look at or watch? Is it wholesome? Is it glorifying God? We can actually experience physical weakening, as we all do, but still be more effective spiritually. Now, I used to pride myself that I had very good eyesight. And I'd almost got up to the big 5-0 before I had to admit defeat and get some reading glasses. I was very disappointed. Just a few months short of my 50th birthday. But it come, comes to us all. I now have stronger reading glasses. And there's, it's only going to go in one direction. My eyes are getting weaker. But in the past couple of months, I've started working on certain reading skills, certain visual skills, and I'm starting to spot things that I haven't spotted before. So although, in a sense, my eyesight's getting weaker, it's actually getting stronger. Because there are channels where we can use our bodies to God's glory. Similarly, maybe your hearing's not as, as good as, as, it, as it once once was. That doesn't mean you can't listen more intently and improve listening skills. It may be that you need to show a bit more initiative and say, I would like to hear what you're saying. Can we perhaps move to a quieter part of the room where we won't be disturbed? Paul, it is largely felt, largely acknowledged, had something of a speech defect. We don't know what it was. He mentions comments about other people saying his speech is contemptible. Maybe it was a lisp or maybe it was words that he just couldn't pronounce correctly. But he was one of the greatest orators, greatest preachers of all time. If you're young and fit, You've got good stamina, no part, no part of the body has started to decay, well, praise God. But how is it being used? Is it being used to God's glory? But whether we're young, old, weak, strong, the good news is we are the best that we can bring. Ourselves. Not our money, not our resources, not food, no, nothing. Ourselves. And if you doubt that the body is important, have a look at Proverbs 6, not now, but uh, where it mentions there, there are several things that the Lord hates, and most of them are physical. A lying tongue, haughty eyes, feet that run to evil. But the contrast is, God says, those who bring good news have beautiful feet. In bring our bodies, we bring a living and holy sacrifice. The day of dead sacrifices is over. And it's a holy sacrifice. God says we've been bought with a price, we belong to him, we are now holy as we surrender ourselves to him. We are set apart for God. And that sacrifice is well-pleasing. We need not fear that it's not going to be good enough. When we surrender ourselves 
to God with our body it is acceptable well pleasing worship that makes sense spiritual worship but it's not just the body verse 2 talks about the mind and the two need to work hand in hand it says in in the bible that as a man thinks in his heart so he is as we whatever thoughts we have about ourselves determines how we act daniel and the other exiles from jerusalem who are in babylon purposed in his heart not to defile himself with impure food he purposed him that he would not give up worshiping the one true god and god was with them and and vindicated them jesus set his face to go to jerusalem verse 2 of romans 12 says do not be conformed to this world or this age the verb used there is in the sense of being malleable being easily squeezed in, into a mold the world's mold now when you apply that sort of pressure it's actually quite gentle and that's the sort of pressure that satan will try to to apply it's gentle it's not necessarily a full frontal assault in fact if it, he uses that sort of tactic you know you're winning because it, that's his only way of stopping you but there will be subtle pressure to conform to how the world operates and we need to be on, on our guard and, and say well should i be watching this should i be listening to this should i be going to this place how should i be using my body and my mind to glorify god but instead of being conformed to this world we are to be transformed not conformed but transformed the transformation is like the word metamorphosis you couldn't tell that a caterpillar and a butterfly were the same species but there's a transformation which means that the original creature is no longer recognizable and that leads to if we have got body and mind working together in harmony to the whole picture a picture of people working in integrity where we are known as people of integrity whole complete body and mind in harmony there was an advert about 20 years ago and I'm for a, for a, a paint or something um, where it, was, it said this product does what it says on the tin it does what it says on the, on the tin it's it runs yeah, that's it um, it's reliable you're not going to be, be deceived it's absolutely genuine and i've had that comment in the past of churches i've been at um, i'd like to hear it more often when, when talking to those who are outside the church and i say i belong to such and such church a church i've heard they're a good lot there they do a lot for people genuine that's what makes a difference they do what it says on the tin so how do we grow how do we grow through sacrifice well firstly worship god with our whole being doesn't that just just mean sing songs of worship giving our bodies to glorify god allowing our minds to be transformed that is the essential hinge of romans 
12 of the whole of the book of Romans. And then how we back it up is the rest of Romans 12. The next few verses are all about using gifts wisely. And Paul gives instructions. If, you, if your gift is prophecy, prophesy. If it's teaching, make, use it effectively. Serving, giving aid. And they may be long-term gifts where you are particularly strong, you have a particular natural strength at, or there may just be particular manifestations just for a moment. But either way, use them as, as God directs. Don't hold back. And then, be merciful. Now, we may think that may be a strange expression to use. But the rest of chapter 12 is all about acts of mercy. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't love people, in inverted commas, just for something you can get out of them. Don't seek your own revenge. Pursue hospitality. Several instances of mercies that we can practice. It's not something just for those in great positions of power. We may think of mercy as something which a prime minister can, can exercise, or a judge, or a head teacher, or a CEO, someone who's in charge of something and have the power to hire and fire, or to dish out sentences, or to be lenient as they, they choose. We are ambassadors for Christ, and we have the opportunity either to withhold God's mercy, to ignore people, not to be merciful, to be controlling in how we pass on God's love, or to be free in giving out his love to whoever we meet, in not taking revenge, in not biting back when we have unjust remarks made at us. We need to be merciful, and we can all be merciful, passing on God's mercy. And that includes being sensitive over secondary issues. That crops up in the next chapter. Not ruining, it, ruining it, relationships because we have disagreements about what we should and shouldn't eat and how we should, certain cele should celebrate certain days of the year. And as we continue in this vein, allowing Christ and his word to dwell in us, I'm just going to add one other principle and conclusion which is not specifically in this chapter but it would be helpful for us to pursue to expect and accept pruning as we grow there will be instances where we need to give up things to sacrifice certain things it might be a particular role in the church it may be something we've done for years but God may say well that's fine but that was for then it's not not for now there may be some secondary church or individual practices which need to be axed because they've served their purposes. So there we are. Worshipping with our whole being, using our gifts wisely, being merciful, expecting and accepting pruning. That's how we will achieve growth through sacrifice. But the, hint, the key hinge is presenting our bodies, our minds, for God to work through us. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for your supreme sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for our sins. Thank you for the wonderful mercies that you lavish upon us. We just pray that you will help us to just get some understanding of what you've done for us. And if we have understanding, we'll just give us more, Lord. Take us deeper into that realisation of your goodness towards us so that we may honestly just give our bodies, our minds to you in service and then start being practising your mercies and seeing your church grow as a result. We just commit ourselves to you. Please use us in the coming days for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.